Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. We're going to look at one verse this morning. We're going to look at the example of Noah. In the coming month or so, we're going to be looking at a few of these examples that are given to us here in 11, notably Abraham, Sarah, Moses, particularly. We're going to look at those two others as well, um, and Noah here. But God's word here to us says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Well, my phone alerted me just a little while ago that we are under a flood warning. And I thought, well, that's appropriate since we're looking at Noah this morning. Thankfully, uh, we don't have to fear the kind of flood that, that was predicted in his day and that came in his day. But uh, we're talking about Noah here today, and the reason that the writer of Hebrews brings up Noah is because he's being held up to us as an example of someone who had faith, faith that persevered in the face of uh, impending judgment, in the face of, of uh, living in difficult times in a difficult world, and, and he's being held up to a group of people that were very discouraged in the faith. They were being persecuted, and the audience, the original audience of the book of Hebrews were people who had been, uh, some of them had been killed for the faith, some of their number had been killed for the faith, and, and they were uh, having their property confiscated, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, and they were being mocked and taunted in the marketplace and, and in life. And Noah, to them and to us, is a great example of someone who persevered in faith in spite of all the difficulties that he faced. Last week, we learned that faith consists simply in taking God at his word and then directing your life accordingly. Taking God at his word and directing your life accordingly. And that's exactly what Noah did. He took God at his word and he lived in light of that truth. He heard about the flood. God gave him instructions about what to do. And he took those things seriously and he lived it out. He obeyed God and he saved himself and his family. He heard about something that was coming in the future and his faith made it very real in the present. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about there in verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, Noah heard about the flood and heard the instructions that God gave him And he was assured of those things. He had a conviction about those things. And therefore, he built the ark. And he got in the ark. He gathered the animals into the ark and his family into the ark. And he saved himself, his family. And he became an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. So Noah's faith took that warning to heart. And we need to do the same as well. We want to be those who persevere in faith. How do we persevere in the faith, according to Noah's example. And I think we'll see the same thing in in the other examples that we have here in Hebrews chapter 11. But three things that we see here, and I've given you an outline there, if you've picked one up. First, receive God's word. Second, respond in reverent fear. 
And then finally, receive the inheritance. That's really not how you persevere in faith. That's kind of the result of it. But the first two things are how to persevere in the faith. You have to receive God's Word and then respond to it in reverent fear. Well, let's look at those in turn. It tells us here in verse 7 that Noah was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And if we look back at Genesis 6, if you want to turn there, let's look look at exactly what the Lord told Noah. In verse 11 of Genesis chapter 6, it tells us, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, and this is the word that he received, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Well, that's the word that God gave to Noah. And what he's telling Noah is unprecedented in the history of the world up to that point. A worldwide flood. God is going to wipe out all of humanity except for Noah and his family. God's word was gracious. What if God had not warned Noah? What if God had not said anything? He just wiped us out. Because of that gracious word that Noah received, uh, we're here today. We're here. You're here today. God showed grace to Noah by giving him his word. And that's true. Genesis 6, 7 tells us, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, or grace, that's the Hebrew word for grace, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was God's graciousness that gave Noah the warning of the flood, of impending judgment, and of instructions on how to save Mankind, how to save his life, his family's life, and the future of mankind. You see, God's Word is a gracious, life-saving, and life-giving provision. Never forget that. God's Word is gracious, life-saving, and life-giving provision. Now, turning back to the book of Hebrews the original audience who received this word, or, or these, this word, this letter, this, this sermon, if you will, from the writer of Hebrews, 
they too were being warned about future judgment and God's provision. If you look back, Hebrews 9, 26 through 28, uh, in the middle of verse 26, it says, As it is, he has appeared, Jesus, he, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So a provision for salvation. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And the problem with the original audience of the book of Hebrews was that they were not, or they were coming to this place where they weren't eagerly waiting for Jesus. In fact, they were turning away from Jesus. And so in chapter 10, the writer is warning them sternly about the coming judgment. Verse 26 of chapter 10, if we go on sinning deliberately, that is, their, sin, their, their particular sin was apostasy, turning away from Jesus. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. They're turning away from Jesus, the only sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, the original audience was given a word about judgment and a word about salvation and the provision to avoid that judgment. And they were teetering on the brink of not listening, not taking that seriously. Now, when it comes to us today, we have God's word. We are in a, a better place than the original audience and, and in a better place than even Noah. And you say, well, how's that? Noah, I mean, God communicated directly with Noah. Well, we have the Bible. We have, probably you've got numerous copies of it at your house. You've got it on your phone, and you can take it with you wherever you go. There's no limit to the amount of helps to study the Scriptures we have at our disposal. But do we pay attention to it? Are, are we valuing God's Word? We have this Bible, but are we reading it? God's Word is a gracious provision to us, and we live in a time that's, that's amazing at the accessibility of Scriptures to us. See, this, we have in our hands a life-saving and life-giving Word from God that He's graciously given to us. Are we going to ignore that? Well, the original audience were teetering on the brink of ignoring it and they're facing judgment. And the same is true for us. If we're not paying attention to God's Word and, and what it says here, and we're just like people in the days of Noah, going about marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking, and then the flood came and they were destroyed, except for Noah. Well, we can go along... And we can be just living our lives without any reference to what God has said in His Word. And one day we will be subject to the judgment. 
So how do we persevere in faith? We, first, we must receive the Word. We've got to look to the Word. What does God say to us? And then, secondly, respond in reverent fear. It tells us here in 11, verse 7, when Noah was warned about God, by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructing an ark for the saving of his household. Now, I read that long passage in chapter 6 where God speaks to Moses and he, and he speaks to Noah and he says, you know, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood, build this ark, uh, fill it full of animals and your family, um, and, and gives him all the details there. And then verse 22 of chapter 6, Genesis 6 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. What a wonderful, simple sentence that tells us Noah's faith. Noah did this. He did everything that God said to do. He did it all, all that God commanded him. In reverent fear, he did what God told him to do. That's what 11.7 says, Hebrews 11.7. And the true idea there is of reverent fear, it's pious care or a reverent circumspection or care, watchful vigilance. See, Noah was careful to take God's warning of judgment very seriously and to follow God's instructions closely. He not only took the warning of judgment seriously, but he took the instructions on how to save him and his family seriously. He didn't say, well, you know what, okay, there is a judgment coming, but you know what, I'm just going to teach us all how to swim, and we're going to make it on our own. And how many people are doing that today functionally? Yeah, there's a day of judgment, but I'm going to earn God's favor by my own work instead of looking to the provision of salvation in Christ. See, Noah reverently listened to everything that God's Word said and took it seriously, and he put it into practice. He responded in reverent fear. Reverent fear is the attitude that God is so great that I'm afraid of displeasing Him, and He is so good that I'm afraid of losing Him. And you think about Noah and what he was called to do, it was no small task. I mean, a cubit is about 18 inches. And so this ark was 450 feet long by 75 feet wide. And, you know, I think in terms, you know, we, I guess in the South, most everybody's a football fan. So we're talking about, you know, a, a football field is uh, 300 feet plus the end zones adds another... 60 feet, so that's 360 right there. We'll add another 90 feet to that, or another 30 yards. So it's basically an entire football field and another third of one. And then as wide as half of a football field. And he, and I hope maybe he contracted some people out to help him, but maybe it was his, just he and his sons. People estimate how long it took, and nobody knows for sure, but it would have had to have taken decades. You know, they didn't have cranes or or mechanical things like we do, power tools, all by hand. So what a task he was called to. Imagine how hard it must have been for him to even believe that God would really destroy the whole earth by means of a flood. I mean, it never has happened before. And, and no one else 
is paying attention to this word. He was all on his own, and no one else cared about a flood coming. And decade after decade of working on this big ship that he's making on dry land, how are you going to launch the thing, Noah? I mean, surely he was mocked unmercifully. The jeers and the taunts that came from his neighbors as he built this giant boat year after year, a great project. And, and then he had to gather the animals. You know, we, we had this cute picture when our children were young and, you know, we had made it a little nursery and, you know, everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people like the Noah's Ark theme, the little animals everywhere. And there's a painting and it has the ark there in the picture and, and all the animals lined up two by two in single file going onto the ark. Now, I suppose that maybe that's the way the animals were back then, but if th that's not like the animals are today. I mean, Noah had to go and capture a giraffe and an elephant uh, and all the other animals. But maybe, maybe God did get them to line up supernaturally and file in an orderly manner onto the ark. We don't know for sure, but it is a large task and that he would have to think about all the animals and gather them all. What a crazy thing God has told him to do. But he did it. He took God's word seriously. Noah did all that the Lord God commanded him. He respected God and his words of instruction. And you think about the cost of it all. His entire life, basically, decades of his life were dedicated to building this boat and gathering these animals and the discouragement that he must have faced doing this work all alone and no one believing what he believed, that there was going to come a flood and they needed to pay attention to this word from God. Peter tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness. We don't know if he was preaching, but he certainly had to explain to people what he was doing and why he was doing it. And people just ignored him. And he says, I must be, I'm the only person in the world who's living this way. How discouraging that could be. Well, it was the same kind of discouragement that the original audience of the book of Hebrews was facing. They were a minority. They were being mocked and, and some were being physically injured and even killed. And so the writer of Hebrews is giving them God's word. He is pointing them to Jesus so that they, see, they were losing their respect for Jesus. They had heard the word about Jesus. They had embraced Christ as their Savior but they were losing faith because it was difficult. They'd heard about Jesus coming again and he wasn't returning. And so the writer continuously tells them to look at Jesus and he points them to the superiority of Jesus. He's trying to help them recapture their reverent fear of the Lord. Now what about us? Are we serious about God's Word and what it says there? Not just to be biblicists and say, yes, we believe this is God's Word, but a lot of people say that, but they don't ever actually read it or understand it or try to put it into practice. Are we reading the Word and meditating on it and, and thinking, you know, if what it says is true here, how should my life change? What should I do differently? 
How should I repent from my sins and, and change my life and ask the Lord to change me? Do we take God's Word seriously? Are we taking what God's Word says seriously? Not just that we're taking God's Word seriously, but what it says about us, about His provision of salvation, about life and, and all that we need to live lives of godliness? Are we reading the Word and thinking, what would my life look like if I put this into practice? Or are you reading the Bible at all? Noah took God's word seriously in reverent fear. He built the ark. And then finally, he received an inheritance. It says there, by this, in verse 7 of 11, Hebrews 11, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world, it says there. Noah's righteous obedience to God stood in sharp contrast to the world around him. If you read those first few verses of Genesis 6, it talks about how the, the, the earth had grown completely corrupt. The world was so sinful and corrupt, and, and Noah stood out because he took God's word seriously. He walked with God, Genesis 6 tells us. Now you think about that. Well, as I said before, Peter it says that he was a herald of righteousness. And we don't know if he was a preacher of righteousness. That's not the word there. It's not the same word as preacher. But he heralded righteousness. He stood as a beacon of righteousness in the darkness of, of his life because he looked to the Lord in reverent fear and obeyed his word. Well, are we heralds of righteousness in our world today? Do we stand because of our obedience to the Lord and taking his word seriously and taking him seriously? Are we standing out in a, in, a, in a world that's increasingly dark around us? Or do we look the same as the world around us? Well, he was a herald of righteousness. He, was a, he condemned the world in that sense and, and that the flood came and his righteous example was a testimony to the world that when, that when the raindrops started falling and the, the door of the ark was shut, those people around there knew that what Noah was and what he said was true. He was an heir of the righteousness by faith. Now, notice the word heir there. An heir receives an inheritance he did not produce. You, know, you receive it from your father or your mother or grandparents or whoever. He was an heir of righteousness. It wasn't his own righteousness that saved him. The Lord saved him. The Lord reckoned him righteousness by faith, just as he did Abraham and just as he did, does us. It's not our own righteousness that saves us. It's, it's the righteousness that's received by faith, faith in Christ, in God's provision of salvation. Yes, Noah was obedient to the word that he was given, but ultimately, it was the Lord that saved Noah and his family. The Lord shut the door of the ark. That's in Genesis 7. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. You have this big door, I guess, on the ark. That's what you see in the pictures that hung in the nursery at our, in our house. Uh, but God shut it. God sealed it. God 
provided for them and made sure that they were safe. It was God's provision. Noah trusted the Lord to save him. Where are you looking for salvation today? Are you looking at your own efforts or your own obedience even? We, we must look to what God's Word tells us is the provision. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the provision. The ark is uh, pointing, points us to Christ. It's the vessel of salvation. Jesus is that vessel of salvation. Noah points us to Christ. Noah was faithful to the Lord, and he provided salvation for his family. Jesus was faithful in his mission. He did everything the Father told him to do to the point of death to save his family, to make sure that they made it through judgment. Well, as the writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Chapter 2. And then in chapter 12, he's going to say, and we'll get there in a month or so, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So that's the first point here. Turn to the provision of Christ, the provision of God in reverent fear because judgment is coming. But God has made a way for us in Christ to be saved. And for those of us like the original audience here who are discouraged and we're feeling like giving up and we don't want to persevere in the faith, was turn, flip over to chapter 12, verse 1. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people like Noah, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When God gave that warning to Noah, he said, he said, I want you to build an ark and you and your family get on to it because I am, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a covenant with you. It's not just that Jesus is the cheap fire insurance. He wants to have a relationship with you. Those who are in covenant relationship with him are the ones who are saved. And we're going to come to the table in a minute and read those words where Jesus says, this cup, my blood, is the new covenant. Those better promises that the writer of Hebrew talks about, the promises of forgiveness of sins, and that we will know the Lord and no one will have to teach us to know the Lord because he will come to us and we will know him by his spirit. So look to Jesus for that provision of salvation, but it's a covenant relationship to come into a relationship with Jesus, to be united to him. And I, and I would just ask you today, uh, are you married to Jesus? That's, the, that's a covenant relationship. Marriage, that's the kind of relationship we're talking about here where Christ is your groom and you're the bride. Are you in that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus where you're listening to his word and looking to, to please him as your husband, in a sense, as your heavenly father, as your, as your captain, as your leader, as your rabbi, all that Jesus is? 
Are you living in that kind of relationship with the Lord? That's where the provision of salvation comes in, looking to his righteousness on your behalf. Well, I encourage you to look to Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, help us not to ignore it or take it for granted or leave this place and, and let the, your word just fall by the wayside. Help us not to uh, endure for a while, but when it becomes difficult, give up. Help us not to be intrigued by things of the world that choke out your word. But Lord, we pray that it would take root in our lives and produce fruit, that we might be heralds of righteousness, giving that testimony to the world of your grace, your mercy, of reconciliation between God and man. We pray, Lord, that you would raise us up to be like Christ in all things. And we pray this in his name. Amen.